Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. When children love learning, they can tackle any challenge life throws at them. Sylvan's insight assessment can help you determine if your child is ready for what's ahead. It can also identify gaps in learning and point out areas that could be of concern for your child so they can tackle what's to come. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. everybody thanks for joining us today my name is ken swanson this is the ap laboratory it's the friday edition closing out your week thank y'all so much for spending some time with us today we got a very draft heavy show we're three weeks out from the draft the kc draft guide just released there's a lot to talk about here and the chiefs haven't done anything in free agency in a while and no i don't want to hear about michael burton anymore so let's talk about some potential future chiefs uh here it's a draft focused episode and here to help me talk about the draft are my dear pals first find him on twitter at chief in carolina very easily the third worst board game player in this podcast right now matthew lane hello hi guys i want to bring to our attention the biggest chiefs news going on right now what number do we think tyron matthew is going to wear because he has come out and said it's not going to be number seven so i just wanted to bring this back to you know a football discussion because i am not afraid of my board game playing capabilities. I don't have to feel the need, you know, to talk myself up on a podcast to make me feel all big and bad as a board game player like Kent does. So Time I just out. want to talk about Time football, out. you know, instead of trying to fill myself up with some kind of false confidence. Craig, what number do you think Tyron Matthews going to wear? Tyron Matthews is going to run f- wear five. Like, I, I, I think we all know that it's going to be five. He calls himself five. They all call him five. I think it's going to be five. Matt spent 30 minutes before this podcast telling me how he was going to obliterate me in any board game of our choosing. And yet I am getting slandered on. Does not sound like something I would do. (laughs) Hey, Kent, what number is Tyron Matthew going to wear? He's going to wear five. Yeah. (laughs) You know what number Kent would wear? Six feet under, because that's where I'm putting him when we play any kind of board game. (laughs) He told me he told me to bring dirt because I'll be taking a nap very quickly, whatever board game he chooses. And then he actively asked for a board game that he could specifically target me. Like what? I'm I'm telling you. Sometimes, sometimes we might just want to like just release the thirty minutes it takes us to start a show instead of this. But I don't, yeah, that will probably not. We'll have to release it on a different platform other than SB Nation's fine, non-explicit tagged platform. And, uh, yeah, that will not lead to a lot of five-star reviews. Let's talk about football now. Uh, Matt's very excited. What I've been trying to do this whole time. Uh-huh, sure you have. So we want to do a little bit uh, of draft talk we got three different kind of subjects that we want to address today. So we're going to talk about players uh, that the NFL is probably higher on than us. We're going to talk about some players we like better than the grade that we gave them in the KC draft guide. And then we're going to talk about players we like less than we, uh, than we gave them uh, than the grade we gave them in the KC draft guide. And by the, by the way, KC draft guide gum.co slash KC draft guide 21 
Uh, promo code lab still up. L-A-B. Promo code lab is still up. Whoops. Did I let that slip? Oh, no. You can get it for $8, I believe, with that promo code. And we aren't advertising promo codes anywhere right now. Huh. Lab's still open. Weird. Love you. Thank you for listening. All right. Christian Barmore, the defensive tackle out of Alabama. Wyatt Davis, the offensive lineman out of Ohio State. Two guys that got invites to the 2021 NFL draft recently. Uh, and it sounds like we're starting to get more news about who's going to be invited, who's going to not. Wyatt Davis rejected uh, his invite. Maybe that means he's not as confident he's going to go early. Maybe. That would make sense because where we have him in the KC draft guide is not remotely close to the first round. And I know this. I know that the NFL maybe was hoping to try to have some more day two type players, and maybe they see him as a day two type player. We he barely made our top one hundred, and Christian Barmore is outside of our top fifty right now. And those uh, there's some there's some buzz that Christian Barmore could go in the first half of the of the first round. So um, we want to talk about some players that maybe we think that the NFL might be higher on than us. For a variety of reasons. And Barmore and Wyatt Davis sound like they potentially could. Craig, why don't you give us another player? Yeah, another player that the NFL has kind of had some round one buzz surrounding is Kelvin Joseph out of Kentucky. And I know a few of our listeners, I've seen it on Twitter, like this kid a lot. I think he's feisty. I think that he's pretty fluid. He's obviously a decent enough athlete. He ran a 4-3-4 at his pro day. But decent, decent called that yeah, decent. You know, decent. I say decent because he also ran a 7.213 cone, ridiculously stiff. I think that he gets bossed up a little too often at the catch point, like, doesn't play physical enough for what Steve Spagnolo or a lot of these you know, teams in the back half of round one are really asking their cornerbacks to play like. So he he's already a guy that you have some questions about, and then he's got some off-field stuff. He had to transfer from LSU for a violation of team rules. You know, I, I think his ball skills are just a little bit questionable as well. Like, Kelvin Joseph has got a lot of love throughout this entire process, and I actually, he's one of those guys, when you hear these names that keep getting love and you're a little bit lower on them than it seems like, you know, the rest of the league is, you keep going back to watch because it's like, okay, well, maybe I watched the wrong games. Maybe I maybe I missed something here. What are these people saying about him? And just time and time again, as I watched him, I was unimpressed. He, he is my personal CB10 in this draft and for us with the guide, he is CB12. So, I mean, we we did have multiple people watch him. Everybody just kind of came away unenthused. Certainly not round one material in our books, but a guy that has gotten that kind of buzz nonetheless. So for me, when I went and watched Kelvin Joseph, uh, I thought he was a very good-looking man corner. He has good size. Yeah, he wasn't. He didn't play super physical, but I don't think he was uncomfortable playing close to a wide receiver. On film, I thought he was actually very fluid. I thought he did have the ability to kind of mirror receivers pretty well. My biggest qualms with him were the lack of physicality, and then I just thought he was really bad in zone. Like, I thought his zone eyes were, and just spacing was some of the worst I'd seen. He constantly just lost guys behind him. So it's coachable things, at least for me, from what I saw in the film. Now, that three cone and his shuttle, a little, a little concerning. But I 
think that most of his flaws are coachable, which is probably why the NFL is going to like him so much. You get him in, you get him coaching from an NFL staff, you anticipate being able to fix up some of the issues you saw on the film. All right, so my guy that I think the NFL is definitely higher on than uh, we, but specifically I am, is uh, wide receiver Kadarius Toney out of Florida. And this should come as no surprise to anybody that listens to this podcast. We aren't a huge fan of him. I think the NFL, you've seen him as mocked as high as the top 20 in the first round. And that's just mind boggling to me. He's a slot only wide receiver that really only has one good year of production. The majority of it is on manufactured gimmicky type plays for a guy that is not elite fast on the football field. So much of what he does is just freestyle route running. He's shown no real ability to release first press coverage, to win vertically down the field. So he's a very limited player. And in that limited position, I don't think he has top, top end athleticism. So you're essentially getting a guy that you have to design touches and yardage for. And yeah, he might get you 10% more than somebody taken in like the fifth round. But that's a very small gap when you have to do all the work to get him open yourself. And I think he's really good in space. Like, don't get me wrong. There's like, it's not like, I think with all of these players and anytime we speak negatively, negatively of a player, they all have value. It's just, we don't oh, yeah. value him in the same place. Yeah. He's still a late you know, second round like, grade. So, I mean, he's very draftable. You take him in the top 64 picks and like, that's exactly where we have value. Just, it was the first round value. That is why. Right. Right. And so like, I, it's just always interesting because every now and then we'll talk about a player that we're not as high on, and it turns into they hate him. We hate him. We don't think that he's draftable. Yeah, yeah that's not it's the like, case. No, not like at Craig all. with Tommy that's Trimble like, and not really? giving him a my guy stamp. Oh, you stop! I mean, come on, embarrassing. I can't wait to just. I can't wait for Tommy Trimble to be a chief, be a good chief, and every week just dunk on Craig for the rest of our existence. But anyways, Kadarius Tony, I think he's a good player in space and like an absolute problem in space. And I think that goes against coverage too, because if you know, I, yes, he has a hard time beating man coverage, but if you're playing in any kind of off look, you're in trouble. Josh Bledsoe got obliterated on this little angle post type route. Uh, when I watched him and like, I mean, there's some looseness and fluidity in his hips and in his frame but the problem is in some of those big plays down the field, like he'll get open maybe and then drop it. <laughs> it's like, you know, like he doesn't help himself particularly much. I do think he's a manufactured touch kind of guy. Um, I think it, it's, it's just, there's just not a lot there that I'm excited about. Um, and he gets in his way a lot uh, when he does make some, some of those bigger plays. So my guy here, uh, a guy that I'm not as high on as the NFL, probably I'm just, this is just an assumption. But, you know, Trey Smith got a lot of love in the last couple of years as one of these elite tier prospects. He's been mocked in the first round in the last 12 months. And I do have a theory here, boys. I want to throw this out here to you. I think sometimes those names that we hear early and often in July or 12 months before the next draft, I think sometimes those are the guys that the league loves. And some of those, some of those, some of those mock drafts are built on guys like Trey Smith that the league actually loves, and it's not just manufactured buzz from media people. It's the NFL telling some people straight up, "Hey, this is a guy we're really high on." I think Trey Smith's one of those guys that 
maybe we aren't high on and this tape doesn't warrant it, but the NFL is high on. And I would get it because the highs on Trey Smith's tape are very fun. You, I could see some people being really excited about a Trey Smith because of the highlights that show up on Twitter, the way he's able to finish, some of the physicality he possesses. Uh, I don't love all the plays almost in between them. I think there's a lot of inconsistencies in the way he plays the game. I think there's some tightness in his hip, hips. I don't think he's as good in space as you would like him to. I think he's a pretty linear player. Um, but... You know, there's some high-level plays there, and a lot of coaching staffs. There, some teams look at players and they say, "Give me the best 20 plays of this guy. Let me watch those." Like the coaches, a lot of the coaches will, will will subscribe to, "Give me the top 20 plays of this man's season, this man's career. Let me see those." And then it's my job to get those more of those top 20 type plays out of them. Like that's my job. And so some teams will, you know, adhere to that kind of principle. Trey Smith's highs are great. There's a lot of inconsistencies underneath it. I think that from the the media standpoint, like a lot of people fell in love with Trey Smith because he's got a mean streak and he's fun to watch from that. And it's the same reason that we, I mean, we like Tevin Jenkins because he's got a mean streak and he's really good. Trey Smith just has very heavy feet and stiff hips and yeah, he's got a mean streak, but like I, you turn on the game against South Carolina Ernest Jones, who's a linebacker that's eligible in this draft, gave it to him in the beginning of that game. Like, Trey Smith came out a little bit soft in that game, and Ernest Jones bopped him a few times before Trey Smith finally woke up and got him back. But it, you just see those inconsistencies in his tape. You see the type of athlete he is, the types of schemes. Like, he, he's probably not going to be a guy that's going to play really well in you know outside zone type schemes and things like that like he's just not gonna fit in some of those things so when you hear all these teams that are connected to him and stuff like that a lot of times like you may see teams that like the media is just hooking up oh they need an interior offensive lineman so they put them early so the nfl might not be as high on trey smith as as it seems but again it only takes one team if you got a team that's running a power scheme they may fall in love with that, you know, his power and his heavy handedness and just be able to go off on that. All right, we're going to take a break and we'll be talking about some players that we like better than the grades and players that we like worse than the grades. We gave them right after this. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity, but giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com.
talked about it before the break. We're going to go and look here at players that you know maybe we like a little bit better than the grades that they ultimately ended up with in the KC Draft Guide. Uh, we're going to then talk about players that we like a little bit less than maybe the grades we gave them in the KC Draft Guide. So, Maddie, why don't you kick this thing off? So here's one. This is a guy that we have down as the 77th player in the KC Draft Guide, and that's Carlos Basham, edge player out of Wake Forest. I think we've actually been vocally relatively lower on him than where the NFL might be. And I think for me, I'm just kind of splitting the difference. I don't think he's a round one player, but I also don't think he belongs squarely out of the second round because he does provide you with a quality run defender. There are elite level explosive traits. And I mean, this has been reported for going back years now, how explosive he is in terms of his linear ability to explode off the line of scrimmage. He doesn't always play to that, but it showed up in his testing. It does show up in flashes and spurts. So I do think there's a little bit of untapped potential for Carlos Basham going into the NFL. Furthermore, when you just kind of watch him, and for me, I was watching him, and he definitely looked like the best player on the field in quite a few of his games. And when you go through and grade a guy like that, you expect him to come out with a little bit better than a third-round grade, and it just didn't happen. He's another guy. I think if he gets some NFL coaching, he might look a lot different than he did in college especially if you're looking at just his 2020 season, where I do think that he was misused a little bit and maybe he wasn't fully into the season. 2019 was a little better. And I think there's just one more step that's missing. And if he gets to that point in the NFL, I really do think he has the profile to be a lot better. And if you're going off of what you saw at the senior bowl, you're seeing a guy that Steve Spagnuolo is definitely looking at kicking inside because the inside tape was really good at the senior bowl is inside pass rush one-on-ones was very impressive and I don't love him off the edge and we've we've probably beat this drum a lot in the last couple months uh you know what I think about him at side but I actually you know I have thought I wonder if I'm a little bit too low on him just because that inside presence that he displayed in mobile was very impressive I guess I it's it's kind of like I'm still not all the way sold on him, but I'm way more sold. And I think I, I think you could talk me into him on draft weekend. Is that a good way of explaining it? I think you could talk me yeah. into him on draft weekend. All right, Craig, give me a guy that you like better than the grade we have on him. Okay, the guy that we have out here, uh, Israel Mukaamu. Uh, he's pretty low down on our list, um, but I like him. I actually like him a lot. I think he's I think he's pretty fast. I think he's explosive and he's 6'4" 212. Like he's a huge cornerback that played some safety as well. I think that he I I think the NFL is going to fall in love with his traits because he does need some work with his route recognition. He does need some work kind of sorting out some things in zone. He doesn't play as physical as you would expect a 6'4", guy to play. But that's all mental stuff. Like Matt was talking about with Kelvin Joseph earlier. That's all mental stuff. So he's probably a day three guy right now. And guys with his size, his movement ability, and his versatility don't typically go that late in the draft. But I, I can see it getting there because teams may not really fall in love with you know his on-the-field traits as much as his physical traits. So I personally like him more than the grade that we gave him, just the way that it kind of sorted out, like the way that the grading sheet and everything that we fill out fills out is not kind to Mukaamu. But 
I do think that he's going to be a good pro, and I think he's going to translate pretty well. He's a guy that I'd love to have on my team, but the grade doesn't necessarily reflect that. And one of the big things with like a cornerback, especially in a couple other position groups, if they're really good at a specific thing, but struggle at others, it really does hurt their grade. So with, you know, Mukuamu, he's a very scheme specific player. If you are going to play, you know, a lot of just soft shoeing coverages where he's just trying to mirror a wide receiver straight off the line of scrimmage, he's not doing anything but trying to mirror with his feet. Yeah, it's not going to go as well as if you let him be a little bit more physical, limit him to just the vertical plane, whether you want to call it quarters, play cover three, he is a little bit more scheme specific. So in that regard, that's always going to hurt the grade once you actually start applying numbers to it. But when you're a team like we are fans of the Kansas City Chiefs that utilize that only utilize outside corners on the vertical plane, we are terrified to let our cornerbacks cross the field from the outside because they're not good at it. <laughs> but when you just have them play physical and then run vertical, you see that average guys can play somewhat well most of the time. He's a guy that would make a ton of sense for that. I mean, and I would agree with Craig. I liked him when I watched him. I think he shows a relatively high ceiling for the NFL as long as you don't ask him to do everything. So you put him in here for a team like the Chiefs, I think you'd get a pretty high return on investment. It just makes full sense once you start to go down the grade sheet. Okay, how is he in man coverage? Press man, off man, zone. Like There's a lot of things that you have to knock him for even though you like him in a very specific usage and that's the way he'd be used with the Chiefs. I, I will say this, and I will put this on tape right here. Muka Amu has the best ball skills of any cornerback in this class. I uh, He made multiple diving to the ground, one-handed interceptions in the games that I watched. Just the games that I watched. He, he's got ridiculous production from the position. So he's big, he's fast. And he's got good ball skills. Like, I mean, that's a that's a spagnola corner. If I he also played one. a little safety. We know there's another big, long, fast corner with ball skills that played some corner and some safety that the Chiefs were interested yep. in. Speaking of ball skills, Andre Cisco out of Syracuse is a guy that I am probably too low on. I feel bad about where he sat in the safety rating rankings, and I feel bad about where he sat. Uh, overall in the Casey draft guide. And I just want to apologize to all of our readers. I want to apologize specifically to Craig. I will never apologize to Matt. <laughs> uh, Andre Zisco, I, I think I really undersold his ball production and his range and his instincts. And I feel bad about that. Uh, there are some things I didn't love about his game. I thought he's a little bit passive, uh, a little bit, uh, a little bit passive as a tackler. I don't know, like I don't know how 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 he's gonna hold up in man coverage, but I don't know if like you're having him play a ton of man coverage. I think he's a guy that you play in as a center field safety and let his ball production take over. I and, and you gotta understand our grades don't take into consideration injury, and I know he's just coming off an injury. This is I think I dropped the ball. I think I'm too low on him. I feel bad about where he ultimately ended up, uh, and actually I kind of just feel bad maybe a little bit about where some of these other safeties wound up. But <laughs> guys. Shared position. Uh, but no, I look, Andre Cisco, my man, he's he's got outstanding range. He's got outstanding instincts. And I think he makes good decisions. I don't think he's like the most over, I don't think he's overly aggressive uh, as, a, as a guy trying to get ball production. 
I think he actually does some pretty smart things as a single high safety. Craig, I just want to apologize specifically to you for a guy that is coming at after all world, you know, ball production. I, I apologize. I mean, I appreciate that apology, and I appreciate that you did not apologize to Matt. Um, <laughs> when when watching Syracuse tape, because I had to watch Ifitu uh, Melifonwu and Trill Williams in that secondary, so watched a, a lot specifically of that secondary and how the safeties were handling how they had to cover some of these guys up. And just Andre Sisco is ridiculously smart as a deep safety. He just, he rarely sets a foot wrong. He He's very, got plenty of range to stay over the top of everything on the back end so he can play single high. Just, I, I was I was impressed with what I saw. Now, I do agree with Kent. When he's coming downhill, I didn't really love the type of fit that he had coming down there. I, I thought that maybe uh, angles were a little bit too aggressive sometimes and he didn't really want to tackle the way that I would appreciate a guy playing deep safety would want to play. I actually but thought I, he was a, I think he was a willing participant in the run fit. I just think he was just like in his head sometimes too much. Yeah. That maybe sense. that's, that's the how case. I saw it. Yeah. Maybe that's the case. But I mean, like he, I, I just thought that was a little bit lacking at times and there were some bigger plays because of it. I, I do think that this is probably a little bit low, but honestly, it may be where he goes because of, like Kent said, because of that injury, it may end up being where it goes. But I do think that we're probably a little bit lower on Cisco than we would be in a normal year. All right, let's go ahead and jump over to players we might like a little bit less than the grade we gave them, <laughs> which just sounds weird. But, I mean, we have a grading system. We have a process we adhere to. Um, we, you know, we do a lot of cross checking. Sometimes the scale likes some players better than others. And that's when we go and reassess the scale a little bit over time. You know, we've made adjustments to some of the weights that we've given certain traits and stuff like that. So, um, my guys, Brevin Jordan, the tight end out of Miami. Uh, and if the Casey draft guide released a week later, he's probably not, you know, where he at is, you know, in the top 30 ish. Um, because his athletic profile was really disappointing. And I think that actually breeds questions about a lot of things beyond just that. I don't understand how a guy that looks that athletic on tape can be that unathletic. So what's, what's his pre-draft process look like? It brings more questions than answers. Um, and some deep, some deeper questions than just, Hey, here's the athletic profile, you know? Um, I mean, and Brevin Jordan's a good player, but he probably fits more in that late round two range for me more than I think where he ultimately wound up. I think he's a good player. He's dynamic for a guy, his size. Um, he's a good blocker out on the edge. I, he's a capable blocker on the edge, but he does leave something to, to be desired. You know, uh, rather like if you look at Kyle Pitts, like Kyle Pitts is actually a decent blocker and people don't talk enough about it. Brevin Jordan. And it, it's just, it's not his strength, but, I think he's got soft hands. I think he can catch the ball comfortably away from his frame. I think he's got promise as a route runner. I think he's dynamic as a player, but man, the athletic profile, the lack of blocking, there's some legitimate concerns that probably lower his ceiling a little bit more for me than where he wound up in our guide. So when I was going through Brevin Jordan, like I think the biggest thing, and I mean, if you don't know Brevin Jordan, the tight end for Miami, I think the first thing anybody's going to tell you about him is how good he is with the ball in his hands, his ability to produce yards after the catch at the tight end position. 
And part of that kind of stems from the fact that he's a good athlete. He's a guy that can outrun college players. He's a better athlete than most players in college, and he is able to produce a lot of yards because of that. The issue is when you come out and test like a average or below average NFL athlete, it's hard to translate that yak ability into the NFL. I think that kind of skews a little bit when you were going through and grading him because I know myself, his athletic testing part of the grade for me was relatively high until you see the testing and it comes back poorly. It makes you want to reassess everything else about his game. How will his route running translate if he can't outrun linebackers? How is his yak going to translate if he can't change directions? Little things like that that makes you just kind of want to go back, watch him again, and say, okay, maybe the grade is a little bit too high on him because this won't translate as cleanly to the NFL as you thought. So for me, the guy is going to be offensive tackle guard out of Alabama, Alex Leatherwood. And the reason that I think he is graded higher, I mean, this is relatively simple. He's graded, I believe, as a late second round pick for us. And that's as an interior offensive lineman. I think I kind of watched him more through the lens of an offensive tackle and still came away with about the same grade. The issue I have is that every time I watch him play against an NFL caliber edge rusher, he loses. Every single time I watch him play against a guy that's going to go to the NFL and rush the passer, he has way too many losses in that particular matchup than a guy that's going in the late second round should have. And there's nothing inherently wrong about what he does. Sometimes he loses the power. Sometimes his footwork is bad. Sometimes he just doesn't get up the arc. It's like, it's a combination of everything. And they just keep seem to happen as one-off incidents. But when they consistently happen over and over again, every time I see him in a big matchup, Aziz Ojulari, Quiddy Pay, uh, Texas A&M edge rusher, uh, Michael Clements decided, to, Michael decided Clements. to go back to Texas A&M for his extra year of eligibility. These guys beat him multiple times in different ways and it's hard for me to translate that to the grade scale because it's not his footwork isn't always bad he doesn't always play with a bad anchor but he does in very bad times and gives up pressure because of it I just wouldn't feel comfortable taking him at the point where the grade says because of those losses if that makes any sense he's sitting 43 on our board right now I believe uh in the KC draft guide I'll be honest with you. You know, you. I. I think there's a lot more of him struggling against power than there is him succeeding against power. That's one of the bigger concerns I have for him. Is is a guy that I thought struggled to anchor with consistency. So that's definitely something I'm. I'm concerned about. And it's you know, obviously we mocked Alex Leatherwood to 32 the other or th- 31 the other day. Oh no. Um, 32 can't. Oh don't, no. Don't go there. Can we not? I'm I'm still working through some things, okay? People hated it. And I get it. Cuz we I mean we all said we we were looking to identify high fits in the uh you know from the KC draft guide. That doesn't necessarily mean we love all these players. <laughs> um and Alex Leatherwood's not a guy we love. Um but he fits that arm length profile. He's got a lot of experience, he's got a lot of versatility. Like those are all things that check Andy Reid boxes. <laughs> Which scares me to death. Uh, Craig, who's your guy? Yeah, my guy is our number 18 player on the board. And a player that's probably going about this high in the draft. But I don't like him as much as the grade that I gave him. It's Christian Derisaw from Virginia Tech. Christian Derisaw's highs are high. And as a secondary grader for this game... 
I was given a game that was a very good game of Christian Derisaw. So the grade that I gave him is appropriate for that game. But I watched a lot of Virginia Tech games, and I got to see Christian Derisaw basically not care for a lot of games, played very inconsistently, was just very late with his hands, was very slow getting off the ball, and it wasn't always injury. I mean, some of it was, but it's just a lot of inconsistent play. And I I don't like this player as high as we have him on the board, even though that's where he's going to go. And he definitely has the Chiefs arm length and fit and everything like that. Like he could end up in Kansas City and I would understand it. But I do wonder about the work ethic. We have heard some rumors that it's not the best. So I, I do have questions about Christian Derrissaw as a prospect and his ability to translate and play at a high level in the NFL consistently. You'll get games where he's going to look good, but it's that consistency, especially at tackle, that you absolutely have to have on the blind side of somebody. And I just have a lot of questions about whether or not Christian Derrissaw is going to be that guy. Well, And it's funny with him because you would think, because there was such a big disparity in the games that he played and the games that he really cared about was often when they were going up against good edge rushers, perceived good edge rushers across from him. It seemed to get him up and ready for the game. But then other times you see him first, what is seen as a generally lesser opponent. He looked like he simply didn't care to be out there. And it really did affect how well he was able to play. You just think you would have heard a little bit more of it. I mean, I, I remember watching a couple games. I was just trying to figure out why he could not make contact with anybody on the second level because he couldn't get out of his stance. And it just looked more, once you go back and see the good games, it wasn't because he couldn't. It was just a lack of desire to. And it's just something that you do have to flush out outside of the process. But I just, I did want to say, I'm with Craig here on this one. Like, you watch the wrong Darisol game. I don't see how you have anywhere close to a first round grade on him. You watch the right Darisol game. Like, yeah, you're putting him up there almost with Panay Sewell and Rashawn Slater just from a, a thing of what he can do. I will say one real hesitation that's not based around the worth that work ethic that I have with him. At Virginia Tech, he rarely was asked to just make too many true pass sets. They weren't really dropping back to throw the ball. He's kind of, he's a bigger, thicker bodied guy. I do wonder about his speed up the arc. It looks good on these little short RPO type drops that they're running, but what does that look like in the NFL when he's having to make full drops? It's like, I get it, but he's probably going to go in the top 20, and I absolutely understand why. Yeah, no doubt about it. And if the Chiefs get him at 31, we're going to be happy. Yeah, (laughs) because if you maximize him, if you get him to play at that level all the time, he's going to be great, but there's just questions. Right. And that's it's, it's all it's all perspective. It's all context because and like I hope you know that oh he hates that guy. You know we wouldn't. I'd be happy with Christian Derisaw. Just maybe you know I would I be happy with trading up for Christian Derisaw? There's that's another the question. question. You see, would you be like, happy trading up to to eighteen and giving right, up multiple right. picks? Ugh. Right. But this is one of the so, so if you could remove the work ethic questions that we may have you could remove the inconsistencies in the uh, the play the fact that he had to go to a prep school and just straight up for the player that you saw versus uh quincy roche in miami or versus pittsburgh would you where would you trade up to take that guy no i think that that's about the right spot and that's the way the nfl teams do look at it they're not looking right. at the the entire thing they're looking we can maximize this player and so i get it i get why he's going that high and he probably should i just 
Man, I got it's questions. All, it's all calculated hubris with these teams. You know, it's, you know, there's, there's certain levels of confidence. There's certain levels of, you know, what they think they can and can't fix. I mean, there's, there's a lot of factors besides just talent that go into these evaluations. That's something about the NFL draft is everybody's like the NFL draft is fickle and the NFL draft, all these players don't hit. You're right. But people don't talk enough about why those players don't hit. It's not talent. It's not a lack of talent evaluation by these guys. It's a lack of they didn't get the right homework done. They made a cal- they made a calculated risk and it didn't work. They injuries happened, which is another one of those calculations. There's so many layers to why these guys don't pan out. It's not just as simple as he wasn't good enough. <laughs> I mean, oh, I, I don't firmly know. believe I'm that sorry. 99% just... of first round players are plenty good enough to play in the NFL. They just either go to a coaching staff that they don't gel with, or there is something off field that holds them back. Like I, I think there are More there injuries. are very few players that get drafted in round one that a scout and a team of scouts just entirely misses on the talent level. That just doesn't exist because they are too good at what they do. It's the situation. But I do want to go back to Darisaw. He's the weird guy that if you ask me if I would trade up for him, I would say no because I think you will have to spend too much picks for the risk that I think you get with not only with a rookie, but a guy who I've already heard rumors about inconsistent you know, work ethic. But if the team does it, if the Chiefs do it, I like the move because that means they feel confident in the meetings they've had with him that they can get him to give a crap all the time. So personally, I wouldn't do it, but I would understand if a team did it because they get to have conversations with him that I will never get to. And the confidence in their infrastructure. Mm-hmm. And like Andy Reid's a guy you can have confidence in. You know, like, I mean, that's a guy that you called Travis Kelsey. You're going to screw this up. Yeah. Five seconds after they drafted him. You know, Andy Reid can take on a couple of these dudes and the juice is worth the squeeze on a guy like Darisoff. They can get the most out of him. For sure. And you put him in a room with Joe Tooney and Kyle Long. Guess what? You got a, you got a couple and guys Austin that know how to Blythe, work. come on. Yeah, no, I said what I said. <laughs> Quote that. Quote that. All right, that's going to do it for the AP Laboratory. Thank you so much for listening. We'll be back on Monday with the mailbag. Appreciate y'all. Have a great weekend, and we will catch you later.